All right, hello everyone. Welcome to today's session of Two Points of View at Two. I am Rex Black, president of RBCS, and we are a worldwide testing and quality assurance firm serving clients ranging from small startups to Fortune 20 global enterprises. Since 1994, we've delivered insight and confidence to hundreds of clients around the world. We have a team of international consultants that deliver customized training, consulting, and expert services to companies that are looking to improve their test and quality assurance practices. Now, in this session, see if I can get it to advance, there we go. Uh, I am happy to welcome Yolanda Haywood. Yolanda is a corporate trainer, speaker, and rebound coach. She is a person of intention. She truly believes that life should be lived without walls and creating pathways to freedom is her life's mission. As a professional speaker, trainer, and rebound coach, she helps companies and individuals recover in value, amount, and strength after any decrease or decline. Passion to see others reach their next level has been the driving force behind Yolanda's career. Over the past 20 years, her journey has and continues to include speaking, training, coaching, people technology, and building high-performing teams in the quality assurance space within IT. Yolanda maximizes her MBA. Congratulations on that, Yolanda. I've never managed to get that. Uh, uh, PMP certification, ITIL certification, and ISTQB foundation certifications to work with her gifts of leadership, creativity, and strategy to break down the walls that hold visions back. So in this discussion, Yolanda and I will discuss the possible tension between quality assurance and development and operations teams, the keys to creating a different culture that is not dependent on industry, practical steps organizations can take to make the culture shift, and more. If you have any questions during the course of the webinar, please submit them at any time, but please note that they will be answered at the end. So on that note, let's go to our, uh, whoops, that was a little bit too far. There we go, that's where I wanna be. All right, so um, your, the first point that we have here is the, as you call it, the, the elephant in the room. <laughs> Um, Yolanda, the, the tension between quality assurance and development and operations team. So uh, is there is there such a tension? Well, Rex, thanks so much for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. And I call it an elephant in the room because let's just face it, it's big. And yes, there is tension. <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone who says there's not tension is kidding themselves. Yep. Um, yep. You know, I think in my journey, I found that a lot of the tension, though, really is lack of understanding for the value that each discipline brings to the table. Mm -hmm. um, the, yeah. the dev and the ops team, they work hard. And the perception is that this QA team comes in to just tear it out in the park. <laughs> and anytime you challenge someone's best, there's a, a, I think there's an intrinsic desire inside of a human to want to be validated and appreciated. Mm -hmm. And whenever you hear someone or you perceive that someone is saying you didn't do a great job, that mm -hmm. creates tension. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've of course, seen that plenty of times. And, and we as uh, test and QA professionals don't, don't always do the best job of that, of communicating that. I'll, I'll admit that myself, that more than once I've been delivering um, bad news about projects and people's work and, and, right. uh, and w often with the people either doing the work or in charge of the work in the room while I was doing that and not really being as sensitive to how that was coming across to them. Mm -hmm. um, I remember uh, 
uh, somebody telling me once um, they, they, they ran an IV and V organization uh, that uh, worked with a lot of, uh, well, we worked with the, the military branches and then basically did IV and V on the defense contractors. And in the room in which this guy would meet with the representatives of the defense contractors, he had this big sign that said, we're not happy until you're not happy. <laughs> so, you know, I, I thought about that and I thought, okay, I, from, from the point of view of what his organization does, right? He's an mm -hmm. IV organization. They're hired specifically to be watchdogs on defense yeah. contractors to make sure they're not ripping off the government and in effect you and I, right? Right. So I'm, I see that as an inherently adversarial type of role, but unfortunately I think that that attitude has bled out of the IV and V space and into just the way that people think about testing in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I had a team member once and she used this analogy and it stuck with me because I remember her saying, when we go into the room, everybody, we're going to be cool because nobody wants to hear that their baby is ugly. <laughs> and it, yep. it took me aback. But then I go, yeah, you're right. No, no parent, <laughs> no one who's nurtured something wants to hear is ugly. And so it made mm -hmm. me become more gentle as a QA engineer and a professional in delivering the news or the information that we need to make changes or we have more opportunity or there's another way for us to do this because um that analogy mm. kind of stuck with me my yeah. maternal instincts kicked in <laughs> <laughs> no that's a that's a really good point yeah um so that's great uh, so one of the things that i wanted to bring up here with this on this point of the tension uh, <clears throat> i'm sure you've run into this a sort of late latest bright shiny object or at least one of them a uh, the devops right um yeah. uh, how how do you think that's affected this this uh relationship if you will the the qa development ops type of uh, dynamic so i'm going to say probably in a roundabout way it has helped it hmm. and i say so. that because okay so i think it's important for us to remember that devops was created to shorten the SCLC, right so mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that there was a great collaboration between the development team the business and the operations and that relationship became really firm but then there was still the factor of the qa isolation so you yeah. still had that us against them type of mentality <laughs> happening within the organization so with the new shiny object becomes a new shiny object the new term that i'm hearing a lot about is qa ops mm. and I, I really believe DevOps really paved the way kind of charted the course for what we now know as qa ops and that's mm. really important because now there's an understanding and a recognition that quality assurance needs to be in that cicd pipeline there's an understanding and appreciation that if we get qa involved earlier if we make sure there is an alignment then now we're really tightening this pipeline and we're going to be able to implement more we'll be able to get it yeah. done faster so um in the beginning tension but now i think it's kind of opening doors that may not have been open if dev and ops hadn't tried it first yep great um and what would you say then the key to that of of getting because because to some extent you have to get invited into that right like so I've seen some of my clients that, um, you know, even though they're trying to do DevOps or trying to do Agile, they still, there still is that sort of us and them. And QA is kind of a separate group, whether by design or by just historical accident, right? Mm -hmm. So 
So somehow or another, you got to, as a QA person or as a test manager, you got to get yourself and your team invited into that process, right? Of participating in that whole, hey, let us let us figure out how to how to build both automated and manual testing into the whole delivery pipeline to make sure that we're, um, you know, maximizing the value. And what what uh, what thoughts might you have on that? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, software testing is the one place where you need soft skills. It is mm. not just about the technical um, skills that you bring to the table, and it's not just about the knowledge. It's also about the people skills. And I'm a big people person. I really believe in developing people and developing leadership and developing the teams. And it's super important to bring that key of collaboration into the environment mm -hmm. so that you can be invited in. You want to have a seat at the dinner table. You yep. want to be considered part of the family. And I use that terminology intentionally because I think about when you're part of the family, that means we can have great times together. And I can also challenge you, but you know I'm challenging you because we are all working towards a common goal. Yeah. So, yeah, you want to be invited in and you want to create a culture and a space for people to be accepting of you and mm -hmm. for you to be accepted. Right. And it just kind of brings us back to what we were talking about before of just making sure that you're 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 playing that role in a positive way. Absolutely. So, yeah. Don't just go in and say the baby suddenly. Don't yeah, do that. <laughs> exactly. Don't insult the baby. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the next point here, which is, uh, you know, what do you feel are some keys to creating a different culture that is not dependent on industry? Um, I'm going to say what we just talked about, one, mm -hmm. that um, collaboration, working together, it doesn't matter whether or not we're in energy or medical, healthcare, it, uh, finance, you have mm -hmm. to have the collaboration. Um, yep. There also needs to be flexibility. Change is inevitable. And as the industry is changing, as people are changing, organizations are changing, that is definitely a key that um, needs to come in in order to create a culture. Mm -hmm. Acceptance of the diversity of skill sets is big. You know, mm -hmm. when you look at the SDLC, you've got your mm -hmm. project management, you've got your development, you've got your business analysis, your systems analysis, you have all key players and they're all at the table, operations. And there has to be an understanding an appreciation and a respect for the diversity of all of the different skills and the disciplines that are coming together in order to make the magic happen. That yeah. is really big in um, culture. And the last one that I think I'll throw out there is mindset shift. I'm huge on mindset. I am mm. always working on my mindset. How do I up level? How do I remove any of the invisible walls? I like to call them that's holding me back. And as a industry, regardless of what industry you're in, it is necessary to begin to have a mindset shift because that is going to be the anchor to change. Um, testing is a continuous process. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be there. It's married to the releases. Mm -hmm. And when the mind can embrace it instead of repel it, then we all walk together in harmony. I want to come back to something that you said right in the kind of the middle of the sandwich. I sounded like okay. the, the, the meat of the sandwich there. You, you laid out a few things, but one of the things you said was skills diversity. Yeah. That, that this is, this is, I think, uh, a really interesting point because 
One of the things that you run into in some organizations that are doing Agile and doing DevOps is that they have, um, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly how to put this. There's, there's, a, there's a line in, in uh, Schwaber's book on Scrum, uh, okay. paragraph actually, where he basically rails against specialization and basically takes this sort of anti-skills diversity um, perspective and is like, well, anyone can test and anyone can design and anyone can code and you should have people on your teams that are able to do all those things. And um, I, I think that was, I think he was wrong when he said it um, in 2003 or 2002, whenever he wrote that book. Uh, but I think a lot of people have picked that up and kind of run with it. And I do sometimes run into that with clients where they, they really, they, they've abandoned that skills diversity in some sense, and they're trying to push everybody to be homogenous in their, in their skills. Have, have you run into that? And if so, what are, what would you find some to be some effective ways of kind of pushing back on that, you know, skills homogeneity uh, efforts? I, I will have to tell you, I am pretty diverse myself. Mm-hmm. I've played in all of the disciplines and I started my career off as a QA tester. Then I went into business analysis, systems analysis. Mm -hmm. I got my project management certification. I've managed all of the teams. However, I really believe very few people can step into a role and not get it messy when they are that diverse. Um, when mm -hmm. I am entering or playing the role as the QA engineer or the QA professional, I have to put on that hat. It matters. All of the, all the other knowledge that I have, mm. it's playing in my mind so that I have respect for who's at the table. But in order for me to really ride the horse and in order for <laughs> me to really honor the discipline, I can't mix it. They are different. And Mm -hmm. I am kind of on the side of saying you can know a lot, but you will specialize in something because it gets us to the finish line faster. Yeah. I think that's the, uh, the sort of the idea of the sort of uh, what's sometimes referred to as T-shaped, T-shaped mm -hmm. skills, right? That you want to, it's, it's important to have that breadth, you know, right. uh, to, so that I can communicate like, so I've often told testers and they don't, they don't always like it when I say this, but I've often told them, you really should learn how to program, at least learn enough about it to be able to read code and have intelligent conversations about code and know what coding best practices are. Because otherwise, you're going to have difficulty communicating effectively with your developers because you don't understand what they do. They live and breathe code all the time. Um, you know, that's going to help you understand it. But that said, you know, I often say, look, the way to think about this is, you know, you don't, you don't have to be able to write like Hemingway to read Hemingway, right? You right, don't have to right. be, you don't have to be like a genius programmer. That's not what I'm saying to them. I'm just saying you need to be able to read it, you know? Right. So you got that, you got that breadth, right? But then the, 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 the horizontal part or the vertical part of the T is that place where you're deep, right? Which for me is for a test person should be, you know, test design, test analysis, uh, risk analysis, uh, running tests, uh, reporting defects, those sort of things. Um, Absolutely. It, it's, it reminds me of um, travel. Mm -hmm. I may not be very fluent in French or Spanish, 
But when I go to another country, I know enough that I can start to have a conversation and yeah. I can bring others in and they can bring me in and we can start, right? Mm-hmm. We can start to, to walk towards a goal. It's the same. Having that knowledge about the code, having that knowledge about how do we get here allows you to come to the table to resolve your defects or to resolve whatever push that is about to happen or, you know, whatever we're finding in the system a lot better <laughs> because yep. Yep. I have an understanding <laughs> for what you did and how you got there. And I know I'm not saying just fix it, just fix it. And you're saying <laughs> to me, it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. I mean, if, if we expect as testers for other folks to have an appreciation for the challenges of our jobs, we, we should probably have an appreciation for the challenges of theirs as well. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now get, coming back to the, the, uh, point here. Um, I, I get that there are parts of um, uh, parts of what we do as as test professionals that are not um, driven by the industry, but um, there certainly are things that can be different. So, for for example, I have clients in in healthcare um, and clients in uh, the medical device space, mm-hmm. and um, they have very different challenges than my clients that are in, for example, gaming. Now, okay. in all, all three of those examples I gave, quality is a very serious thing, and it's, it's taken very seriously. Um, but, of course, the consequences of, of failures in production are different in those fields, and um, the, the challenges, the testing challenges are different. So, for example, in gaming, one of the big challenges is that um, it is not – very easy to specify as my gaming clients would put it, what good looks like. There's there's a real strong, you know it when you see it kind of thing, right? Uh, It's just inherent in, you know, the, the test Oracle problem is really severe in, in gaming. Whereas in um, say a a application that's going to help uh, manage uh, healthcare institutions like hospitals and so forth uh, that could be that, that can, uh, correct behavior can be specified. It can be very complicated, of course, and the specifications can be quite complex, especially when you have different roles interacting, but, but it's, it, the, the, the testing problems are different. Uh, okay. So how, how would that, how would that, uh, those, the, the differences and challenges affect your, your thoughts here? I'm going to, I'm going to go back to where I ended. Number one, mindset. I do agree that in the different verticals that I've worked in, testing is very different depending <laughs> on the vertical. And but I will say, if I was to dissect what was really different, the answer would be it was the people. It was the mindset of the people. And earlier I said we have to accept the diversity of the skill sets and the disciplines. So in something like gaming, when everyone can't agree what good looks like. It goes back to the statement of, we have to remember that testing is a continuous process. So we're gonna test it and then we're all gonna agree, okay, this is good today and mm-hmm. we're gonna let it go. And then we'll keep testing it and we'll tweak it with the releases if we need to as we go forward. And something mm-hmm. like healthcare where it's more definitive, 
then I'm listening to the physicians and I'm listening to the nurses that are sitting at the table with me on the operation side because mm -hmm. I need to have a respect for that skill set in order to help me do my job on the quality side and on the software side of things. So even though the industries are different and the challenges are different, when everyone is collaborating, everyone is flexible and people are talking, I don't think it's really that different. There's always a common goal and we all want to get to it. And that goal is what is success? How is it being defined for mm -hmm. us for this project? And if everyone can agree on that, it's different, but it's kind of the same at the same time. All right. Makes sense. Um, all right, let's move on to the next point here, which is what, you know, what are some practical steps that organizations can take to, to make the kind of culture shift that we're talking about? Open the door, invite QA to the table. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, we do want the new invite, but I do think practically um, you have to embed the QA team into the core team. Um, <coughs> the knowledge on the team while at the same time you're keeping the discipline intact. So I think that's mm -hmm. really important. Becoming inclusive, there's getting rid of that us against them mentality, open dialogue having the conversations to um, have the opportunity to make the relationships better. Mm -hmm. And this one is not rocket science, yet it's the hardest one to master. Mm -hmm. Listening, <laughs> Listening yeah. to the people. Don't silence the people that you need the information from. You know, it mm -hmm. seems so practical, but I always say, if you silence the people, you gag the vision. And mm. when you're trying to grow and you're trying to make that culture shift, you want to hear what do the people need in order for us all to move together collectively. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, that, that ability to listen. Um, <laughs> it it kind of goes back to a uh, one of the uh, rules of uh, consulting that I think I, I first ran across in a book by Gerald <clears throat> Weinberg, but I'm sure it's it's pretty common. It's just... No, no matter what it looks like at its root, there's a people problem. Absolutely. You know, so uh, now, you know, that's not to say that there's that, that you know, because as a consultant, I go in and I'll be talking to, to clients um, and I'm like, I'm working on an assessment right now for a client. And um, yeah, it's really important that I sit down and, and listen mm -hmm. to, to what they're saying. And, and I'm listening for not just the technical aspects of it which, you know, as a guy with an engineering degree is just tempted to go to the technical stuff, right? But I have to also listen to, okay, so what, what from an organizational dynamics, interpersonal relationships, what's, what am I hearing here? You know, because Absolutely. for sure, that's going to be a piece of the, of the puzzle. Absolutely. I was talking to a medical device company this week and um, mm -hmm. working with them on some quality assurance. And the gentleman asked me, he said, Yolanda, um, are you a strategist or are you an engineer? And I said, I'm a master at people that allows me to master software because <laughs> I've learned that if you can master the real root, everything else kind of starts coming together for you. You'll work mm -hmm. at it, but it comes together a lot easier. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's fair to say. And this, uh, of course, um, I've always kind of over the last decade or so been struck by the, the, the irony of, of uh, agile software engineering in the sense, and then why I call it an irony, it, you might 
remember the, the old the old joke about you know the perfect programmers sits in their office with the door closed and you slide pizza under their right. door you know every <laughs> so often right it's sort of um, maybe not misanthrope, but certainly introvert, right? And then along comes Agile, and now it's all of a sudden, it's it's all about trying to transform the That's traditionally right. introverted um, profession into a bunch of extroverts. And it's, uh, you know, I find it funny going from, one, you know, as a consultant floating around from one organization to another and seeing the differing degrees to which that is working. <laughs> Absolutely. That, I think that's one as robust as QA has to be and the developer has to be in that space. It's really interesting because it pulls the introverts out of the office. It shuts the extroverts down and causes them to listen a little bit more. <laughs> it's a great mixture, but it has to happen because the stats are really going up for how much automation is needed and how much 2020 oh, yeah. needed to automate. Um, you, so now you you have to have that really delicate balance of the main one automation in the agile environment and it's all happening together um so going back to collaboration and flexibility is mm -hmm. going to be key to make it happen yeah yeah and figuring out that how to integrate both the manual and the automated testing into those delivery pipelines and and make sure that it's it's adding value it's something that a lot of my clients really struggle with Definitely. They want it fast. They want those delivery pipelines, boom, boom, boom. And they're all like, well, what about Google? And what about Spotify? And stuff just goes in and bang, and it goes out into production. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there, there's, there's that, there's achieving that. And then there's the path it takes to get there. <laughs> so, there you, go. <laughs> you know, and, and, and then people will say, well, yeah, but there are all these free tools out there and they just download them. And it's like, yeah, guys, it's not like a bag of Legos. You know, it's not, no, it's, it's not. not quite that simple. Yeah, they do snap together, but you're going to need some real Lego experts. <laughs> it's a lot of different skill sets to, to make that work. Definitely. When I hear the question, can you, can you help us become automated? I, I have to resist the urge of asking how patient can you be? We can get there. <laughs> we can always get there and yeah. but you're going to need the patient cause it's not an overnight journey. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you gotta, gotta really make sure you're setting off in the right direction. I've, I've, right. so I've done three, I'm, I'm finishing up an automation assessment now and I've done two more in the past two years. And it's really um, getting getting good direction set up early is huge, right? And so these two of the clients that I've, that I've worked with, really, I've had a chance to step in early enough to say, okay, you know, you should do this, and don't you know, don't do less of this, and then don't do this because it's going to create a problem. The third client that I went in and looked at, um, they had already gone a fair ways down the path and there were, you know, they'd accumulated a lot of technical debt in their automation and now they're going to have to clean it up, you know? So yeah, yeah you, you just, you have to be patient in that. It's, it's so easy to make wrong turns in, in automation and they don't seem like a wrong turn when you make them, right? It's that the, the technical debt and the consequences of the, of the decisions that were made with automation and the bad consequences often don't reveal themselves until months or even years after the bad decisions were made. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Starting with the end in mind and being willing uh -huh. to take the journey is so key. You know, you can do it quick and you can yep. do it fast, but mm -hmm. I'm pretty certain you'll start tearing a lot of it down because the foundation and the framework are critical 
to really building an, building an organization that can truly sustain automation at the rate that most people envision themselves going. Yeah, for sure. I think what you said there about start with the end in mind is really critical. So one of the things that, that clients often ask me when in various kinds of engagements, including automation engagements, is, well, what, what KPI should we have? What metrics should we have? I said, well, wait a minute, let's back up here. What are you trying to accomplish? We need to talk about your strategic objectives and the tactical objectives that are going to support those strategic objectives. And then we can talk about measurements that will help you decide whether you're meeting those objectives, right? Not just here's this alphabet soup of metrics that I'm going to give you and, you know, measure these things and everything will be fine. Right. It's, it just doesn't work that way. That's a whole another podcast, right? right? It is. It I, is. Yeah. I can yeah. go down that road with you. Yeah. I think we're going to have to come back to that later. We should do a follow-up one on, on metrics and, you know, good, good and bad and the proper way to develop them. And I actually did a, did a, a podcast and a keynote on this that's called stupid metrics tricks and how to avoid them. Yeah. It was really, it was more about the um, metrics misuse um, and it's more, more sort of organizational issues, right? Of like, keep yeah. in mind that what gets measured gets done. So as you, when you introduce a measurement, you are necessarily distorting the behavior of your organization. Now the question is, are you distorting it in the direction you want or not? But as you say, that's probably, uh, probably follow on podcast. So let's, yeah, let's... I got a lot in my head about that. I'm gonna hold it for today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's put pause button on that one and we'll have, uh, we'll have Dina and Laurel, uh, work out when, when round two comes up. All right. So we're a little over time, but let's move on to the last point here. Um, that's, so uh, can you compromise <clears throat> on culture, compromise for culture without compromising the integrity of the discipline and do that with any sort of honesty? Um, you know, when you use the word compromise, a couple of things come to mind. One, in order for there to be a need for a compromise, there means that there's a misalignment. There may be a mm -hmm. disagreement at some level, some magnitude. I believe the art of compromise is when you get to a mutually beneficial concession for both mm -hmm. parties, right? Mm -hmm. And so to answer your question, yes, you can compromise for culture without compromising the integrity of the discipline, because when I make a compromise, I'm not changing my standards. Mm -hmm. I may be yeah. altering my approach. I may be changing the method, but the standard, the things that I uphold highly as a QA professional, those are not going to change. Maybe yeah. the way that I get there I'll compromise on that. But at the end of the day, my responsibility is to the success of the organization, the success of the project. And mm -hmm. if I change my standards for the culture, then I have not served the culture well. Yeah, it's interesting that there's sort of two almost opposing meanings of the word compromise in English, right? There's compromise in a good sense of I'm, I'm, working with other people to achieve the, what the, the most optimal outcome for all of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. That's good compromise. And then there's compromise, like to be compromised or compromising your integrity, which is you know, a bad thing. Right. So right. But you have to, you have to emphasize the, the former form of compromise, right. Compromise to achieve the best possible outcome for us all. While at the same time saying, well, we're not going to do the latter and compromise our integrity. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Very good. Well, um, 
I am going to go ahead and uh, move us on to Q&A, if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, so we have, we have a question from Vlad. Uh, and Vlad says, will having developers and testers from the same vendor help in reducing dev and QA tensions? So it sounds like Vlad is talking about a, a situation where you have an organization that is using outsourcing um, and um, uh, you know, are they bringing in two, two different vendors, one to do the QA and one to do the testing or one vendor? I see um, where he's coming from mm -hmm. and I'm gonna use a very simplistic analogy to bring this home. The answer is no, <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I have two children from the same mother and father and they still fight. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. You know, yep. so that's really simple. But the the tension really comes from having two different points of view and everyone not really having that understanding of mm -hmm. working towards the same goal. So I say same team, same team, you know, when I'm talking to them, mm -hmm. but it's the same thing in the industry, same team. We're on the same team. We're all trying to work towards the same goal. And even though we're coming from the same vendor or the same company or the same third party, once we enter into the role, we have different perspectives. So I haven't found in my experience that that reduces the tension because there's still that division until the disciplines mature to have an appreciation for one for another. Yeah, the only the only time that I could say that I've I've seen the opposite was it, this was a situation that was really set up to fail. I got called in to do an assessment of an of a very large multi-year, multi-million dollar project that was about three years in and was in the process of dying effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that had been done early on is when they put the, the, the project out to bid, they said that the winner of the bid would get the development work and the second place would get the QA work. And mm -hmm. it's really set the two organizations against each other. And the, the QA folks were, were really sort of delighting in the fact that the project was going down in flames uh, because of this, this this tension that existed between them, you know, I, I really think that that the way the bidding process was set up was toxic to start with, and and yeah, it really would have behooved, like it. yeah, it really would have behooved <clears throat> the client to have resolved that issue, resolved those tensions prior to starting the project. But but otherwise, yeah, I would say I've certainly worked on plenty of projects where you had people coming from different vendors, different contractors, and so forth, and. You know, yeah, like you said, it's got to be same team outlook, right? Yeah, same team. Yep. All right, I have a question from Travis. Um, he says, this question might be for a future webinar. He says, given that this seems to be a human-focused webinar, any thoughts on when AI slash machine learning is added, um, particularly for self-testing and or self-healing, uh, by or for software. So I guess he's, he's getting at the potential impacts of AI and machine learning on, um, on the kinds of testing culture things that we've been talking about. Yeah. So Travis, I will say that um, I have mixed viewpoints on that, but to answer your question of when it should be added, I would have to say when the organization is ready. 
and <laughs> ready is going to be different for every organization. Um, there were some studies out that said 38% of organizations hit the machine learning and the AI mark in 2019. So that tells me that we're there, that we're growing towards it. Some indicators for an organization to know that they're ready, I would say would be things such as, are you ready to use it for your log analytics? Um, maybe mm -hmm. for your test suite optimization, defect analysis. If you're gonna use it for some predictive analytics, um, test coverage requirements. Now keep in mind that means you've gotta already have a really firm foundation that you're building upon. So that goes back to my original statement that you have to be ready. And if you're ready to take that next step, then that's the right time for the organization. Yep. Yeah, this brings us back to the automation thing that we were just talking about. My client that I'm working with uh, right now on their automation, they have all these log files and they're, um, they're saying, well, you know, can we, can we turn AI loose on this? Um, and uh, the, the answer I think is gonna be yes, but you might wanna uh, kind of improve the regularity of the of the logs because right now they've got these logs that are just in all sorts of different formats and so forth and I just think that that's going to going to complicate matters for them so there's um, yeah it's not just as simple as yeah let's just turn AIs loose and see what happens next <laughs> exactly I agree yeah cool all right well that uh, that brings us to uh, we went a little bit over but we went through the discussion points and got some good questions so that's great I uh, so want to mention to all of you out there that uh, if you enjoyed hearing from Yolanda today she will be joining us as one of our instructors this year so please look for her on our training schedule and if you want an on-site ISDKB foundation course taught by Yolanda uh, please send an email to us uh, info at rbcs-us.com so I hope you enjoyed uh, this free webinar uh, from RBCS. We do these free webinars as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS, we are a not just for profit company. If you enjoy our free webinars and feel that they demonstrate solid insights into the kinds of testing challenges you face, please make RBCS your preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting or training. We don't expect to win all your business, but we'd be happy to provide a quote for any help you might need. Uh, again, contact us at info at rbcs-us.com. So um, Yolanda, thanks again for, for joining me. And uh, I think we've got some, some future topics perhaps teed up. So I look forward to getting those on the schedule and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back at a future date to discuss uh, metrics and maybe AI and maybe even other things. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. All right. Thanks very much. All right. Bye-bye. Good afternoon.